Welcome to Wall Street Weekly, a show where your hosts, George and Patrick, cut through the financial jargon to keep you educated and informed about the markets that affect our lives. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the highly informing, overperforming radio show on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm George Ackla, joined alongside my good friend, colleague, co-host, Patrick Scott. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Thanks, George. And I know it's cliche, but time has gone extremely quickly. As our audience has been counting down the episodes, this is our final episode of the semester. You won't be hearing from us again until likely August. So enjoy it while it lasts. We got 21, 21 and a half minutes now. So let's let's quick start right away. And, and before we get too deep into things, as always, uh, anything we say on the show, specifically this show, is we talk about some of our experiences. None of it's financial advice. If you're going to make any trades or do anything in that world, make sure to talk to a licensed professional first. We are not giving advice on that sort of matter. Now, we always start with a current news story. This is, after all, Wall Street Weekly. And I think the story this week that caught a lot of people off guard was what happened with Fox News and letting go of Tucker Carlson and CNN letting go of Don Lemon. And when looking at how current events affect companies, it's important to look at how the rest of the industry performed during that specific time. I know it's a temptation. A lot of people will say, Tucker Carlson got fired. Fox News' stock dropped 5%. And in this case, there was actually a pretty clear indicator that the moment that it was announced he got fired, it dropped that amount, but there wasn't a ton of external factors. However, there are other cases One that sticks in my mind is you don't really watch basketball, but do you remember when Zion blew out his shoe for Duke? That was a big story. I don't remember when it was exactly, but I do remember um, how big of a deal that was. Um, Much much bigger than I I thought it seemed as a non-basketball person myself. Essentially what happened is Zion in college wore Nike shoes. He was the big basketball player in college, the most exciting player probably in the nation at that time. And what happened with Zion Williamson is when he landed, his foot literally went through his Nike shoe and he was injured out for a couple weeks because of that. The next day, Nike stock dropped 2%. I'm not saying that was unrelated to the Zion incident, but at the same time, I think Puma, Under Armour, and Adidas, they all dropped by like 1.25 to 1.5% that day. So it's it's not fair to say, oh, Zion cost Nike's stock to fall by 2%. So I think it's just a little tip that when people try to convince you that, oh, because this event happened, the stock dropped by XYZ amount, there might be some truth to that, but it's something that you definitely have to evaluate. And there are some situations like that where there's definitely an, um, an external situation scene that happens um like on a much bigger deal and we've talked about this before but 9-11 had an effect on the economy um and the markets and yeah i mean there are factors you can't downplay the importance of of external events but at the same time investors are looking long term so in, in the case of nike right that is a huge event within the the month or the, the couple month time frame, but they know in the long term, it's probably not going to affect Nike's business model or credibility. Now with that little lesson out of the way, we're going to jump into the meat of our episode and we're just going to talk about why we do this radio show, you know, some of the things that led us, I guess, to this place and some of our experiences, some of the biggest lessons we learned, because I think it's important to take time and reflect on um, some stories and that's, that's really how you learn. So Patrick, maybe I'll swing it over to you uh, for the first question. What was like your first stock or trading experience? When did you maybe first become excited about investing and maybe walk us through that? The first stock I ever bought was NVIDIA, uh, which is a semiconductor company. Their technology 
goes into laptops, um, AI and gaming consoles, among other things. Um, so I, I guess the way I got started in all this was just a, maybe a, just a, a general curiosity a little bit about the financial world and how stocks worked and such like that, things like that. So, um, last semester I decided to join the Hillsdale Investment Club. Um, and so I did that. And shortly afterwards, I bought NVIDIA, my very first stock for $120 last October. And so this is right just, just when I'm getting into everything. And it, it's all kind of happening in uh, one two month span. And it, it ultimately worked out to my benefit because I sold it this past February, which is pretty quick, all things considered. I always thought like stocks were something I'd be holding on for probably the next several decades. But I sold it last February for $235. So this is my first stock that I ever bought. I only bought one share and I bought it for $120, made $135 on it. That's almost an 100% increase, yeah. which I think is pretty good for, for, for a first stock. Results not typical, right? <laughs> no, not at all. Usually the first stock for, at least for the famous people, it seems like it's always like a crash and burn episode, right? Yeah, I, I think a lot of my friends, they're all gung-ho about investing. They lose a ton of money on a stock and then just end up indexing or throwing it into mutual funds. So my first experience actually came, I think, at age 9 or 10. And I was watching this show called Biz Kids, which I believe was a PBS show. And normally we're not going to do this on the show but the intro to that show was so good that I think we just got to include it in our show. So take a listen. When making money is the aim, these kids, they bring their game. They're the these kids. Can you dig it? They know what's up and let you know just how to make that go. And the really cool thing about Biz Kids, I'm kind of a, a Biz Kids. Uh, you're a biz kid. I, I am a biz kid, or I, I at least was at the time, was that I really appreciate how, looking back, how they get kids to think big. So a lot of the shows at the time are like, start a lemonade stand, and you can make $2, and you can, I don't know, buy some toy or something, which is good. Obviously, it's, it's good to have goals like that. But I remember on this particular episode of Biz Kids, they talk a little bit about con compounding interest. And actually, the name of the episode is turning $1 into a $1 million dollars. Hmm. And when you're young, a million dollars seems so incomprehensible, like how big that is. Right. But in reality, you know, the earlier you start investing, that becomes much more likely that you get to the goals of a million, two million, like whatever your investment goals are. And I think it really taught me to dream big and the benefits of investing early. And luckily, too, I had my dad who was able to set me up with some mutual funds and ETFs and that sort of thing. But I, I just remember thinking it was cool that... I, I was kind of lazy at the time that I didn't have to do anything and my money would just be making money. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, I remember of having some of those experiences. I'm not sure if I remember exactly what they were. Well, one was a um, personal finance class that I did in high school, which is definitely later. Um, but we, we studied like Dave Ramsey videos and stuff like that and, and talked about all that. And there's definitely an excitement that comes with it. Just like the, I guess the prospect of, um, just making money out of specifically out of little money, turning, you know, um, a, a small investment into a fortune, really. Yeah. Patrick, I got to ask you, what's the main lesson that you've learned from investing? Maybe so far, maybe one at the beginning, one more recent or just. Yeah. So I guess that kind of goes in with my first stock. Um, and this one will be a little shorter. Um, 
and I've got another one that I might draw out a little bit more because I think it's more interesting. But in in the past month, the first stock I bought, NVIDIA, it reached $279 repeatedly. It just kept going up there. And remember, I sold it for $235. So once I sold that, I was kind of kicking myself for not waiting longer. But I kind of realized that, I mean, that would have been so hard for me to predict when it would peak. And so I, you have to really be content to um, just make some money. The goal of an investment is to increase the value, right? So I came away with more money, a fair amount more um, than, than, than what I started with. So, I mean, it was, it was a valuable investment, um, but you can't really make an emotional decision. You can't worry so much about what, is, is it really the right time to, to get out of this? You have to be content with making some money off of your investment. Yeah, and to go off of that a little, I heard one guy on a podcast I listened to, and he was saying, it's like retirement. You could retire at age 65 and maybe be worth a million dollars. But wait, if you work till you're 75, you could be worth $2 million. But if you wait and work till you're 85, you could be worth $4 million. There's always going to be that temptation to want more. But there comes a point you have to think to yourself, okay, why do I want more? Like, what what are my life goals? What's important to me? Maybe for you, if you have to buy books for college or whatever, and it would be nice to have an extra, even if it's a, an extra hundred bucks, yeah. you've got to learn to be content with that because if you always want more, uh, that that can lead to more more of those emotional um, investment decisions. Yeah, you can't really shoot for perfection every time because you'll generally you'll end up um, shooting shooting past. Another thing that I want to point out and a lesson that I've learned somewhat recently in trading too is the idea that everyone's playing a different game in trading. And a lot of people forget about this. But when you watch something like CNBC or or Fox Business, those are good programs, but they treat investing like we're all playing the same game. You have to realize that when you're looking at the New York Stock Exchange, there are people who are investing for 40 years in the future. But there's also people who are going to trade the same stock 25 times today. There's the same people who want to hold a stock for a month, two months, like all different timetables. So when someone says stock XYZ is a good buy, is a good buy for who? Are they trying to get out in a week, a month? Or are they doing more of the Warren Buffett strategy and it's a good stock for the next 30 years? Um, so that's, that's just an important thing to realize is what works for one person might not necessarily work for you. And in fact, if you don't have the risk tolerance that they might have or the same timetable they do, it could actually be a quite poor investment for you. Yeah, that's a good point. Now, Patrick, I want to ask you, what lessons do you think you've learned specifically from radio and and kind of, I guess, how that intersects with investing and and how to prepare for that each week? Yeah, so I guess I would say this is more of a life lesson, particularly, that I've learned um, through experiences uh, both in radio and doing this in investment club. So, um, yeah, so I'm a freshman at Hillsdale currently. I'm a history major. And before joining investment club, I had never bought a stock. So I came into the club with virtually no investing knowledge. But it was something I wanted to learn. Um, so my main lesson is to learn by asking questions. With complicated fields like investing, there's you know so much terminology being thrown around in every every conversation, every sentence. And I knew very few of the basic terms to start out with. But the way to learn is to ask what they are. So when you come across a word you don't know, look it up. And that goes for investing, reading Dante's Inferno or anything else. You will fall behind the train unless you slow it down yourself. 
You have to be willing to put yourself out there. Be bold, but humble. If you don't have any humility, you won't be willing to indicate your lack of knowledge. Um, I'm most definitely not saying that I have that humility, but um, I'm working on it. Um, um, but there were so many good opportunities, specifically like in investment club meetings, um, where I felt like I didn't want to slow down the pace of, of the club or the meeting um, for something that everyone else already knew. So that was kind of a, a bit of a fear of mine that, that held me back from that. So consequently, I left the meeting with something unknown. Not a good feeling. That's interesting that you bring that up, the pursuit to learn, because I was actually recently reading about a guy who every five years, he tries to master something new. Right now, he's one of the greater chess players in the world. He is like a grandmaster taekwondo, spent five years dedicating himself to taekwondo, is like one of the best divers in the world, just literally one of the best in the world at five or six different things. And I think sometimes... You know, we don't like to brag. We don't like to find things and be really good at it. And I think a large part of that is you go to college or you go into the workforce and there's one task that you become really good at that you may or may not be really passionate about. But I think it's really great to have a hobby or hobbies that you go in knowing nothing about and and then end up learning about that. Yeah, that actually brings a uh, quote to mind. Um It's from Veronica Wedgwood. Um, She said, an educated man should know everything about something and something about everything. So I I think that really applies to your point there. It's a good good point, George. Going along the lines of radio, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is if you want to be good at something or if you want to truly know something, and I'm not saying I truly know anything about investing, you have to be able to teach it. If I have all this quote unquote knowledge in my head, but I can't explain it to people, that means I don't really know it. And I think you can see this a lot in investing where you ask people, why are you purchasing this stock? And, oh, I don't know. Or, oh, I know it in my head. It makes sense to me. It won't make sense to you. Or the people who trade Bitcoin or crypto. Well, I understand what it means, but I can't really explain it to you. No, if you know something well enough, you should be able to explain it to someone as if they're a middle schooler. And I think that I didn't realize how hard that was or how many fundamental concepts in investing that I actually didn't know that well until starting the show and saying, okay, how do we boil this down um, and make it so that if someone who has never invested a dollar in their life before can still at least somewhat understand it. So that, that kind of works with, with mine. And that, that's like a big reason why I try to stop George mid episode and ask him what different things are. Um, though I feel like I need to be doing this a lot more. Um, so it's, you know, something that can always be improved. Um, but yeah, to, uh, to, to go back to mine, I guess when George asked me to do the show with him, I said something along the lines of really, you know, I have minimal experience with this, right? I'm not, that's probably not verbatim, but it it was pretty close. That's pretty much the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, there were so many more qualified people in the investment club to do this with them. But I said yes, and so now I uh, try to act in this episode how I would as an audience member. I want to slow things down and ask what things are, because we want you to learn, the listeners, um, and I want to learn these things these things too myself. There's um, a scene in the movie Margin Call. Not, George, have you seen that? I have not seen Margin Call, no. Okay, it's a movie about an investment bank in the 2008 financial crisis. Um, and the, this is a scene that really resonates with me, actually. So as the movie progresses, uh, the problem that they're dealing with starts with the low-level employees, and then it goes to their boss. Then the boss take it to, takes it to his boss, who seems really intense and important when he first appears, like, this guy is a big deal. 
And then that boss takes it to the CEO of the company, played by Jeremy Irons, you know, the uh, um, Scar in The Lion King. Okay, so he's like a pretty scary dude. Menacing voice, yeah, but great voice. Um, And the second boss seems insignificant compared to the CEO. So when the CEO comes in for an emergency meeting on the problem, he asks someone to explain the problem. The second boss starts by saying, Sir, if you look at the data, the figure on page 18... And the CEO cuts him off and says, just speak to me in plain English. He, he then asks to speak to the low-level employee um, who found the problem. And he says, please, speak to me as you might to a young child or a golden retriever. It weren't brains that got me here, I can assure you of that. Which is a great line, I think. The CEO asks the low-level employee to speak to him as if you were a young child. So there's a reason that that type of guy was at the top of the chain. He wasn't concerned with the reputation. He was concerned with getting the job done. And he knew that he needed to understand a pr- the problem to, to fix it. Ask questions. That's, that's my lesson learned. I think that's honestly a critical thing. And one thing that actually bugs me about the financial industry is a lot of people, they either try to say a lot of big words and sound smart so that you don't try to take their job, or they might not actually know really what they're talking about. But if they use big words, they're putting up a wall and hoping that you don't take the time to try to break through it and see what they're actually saying or see what they actually know. And I don't know what percent of the industry it is, but I think it's probably a larger portion than a lot of people like to realize. And that's not just for finance. I think that's for a lot of things. And then we're going to wrap up kind of why investing slash radio is fun. It's an opportunity to do something each week with something that I'm really passionate about and For me, it doesn't feel like work or, oh, I have to prepare for the radio show. I don't know about you, but it's like, oh, this is kind of like a fun break to my week. Yeah, well, I mean, to be to be brutally honest, some of some episodes have been very fun, actually, to to work on like this one, um, which I guess had minimal preparation uh, compared to some of the other ones where I was just writing about a story. some some of the episodes were, were, were a little bit more dry, I thought, but yeah. you know, some some of them were, were genuinely fun. Yeah, and I think radio and, in, and investing in general is just really cool because you learn so much about yourself. And I feel like that's kind of like, oh, a Disney movie, look within or whatever <laughs> kind of yeah. cliche. But there's so many life lessons you can do in investing. And that's why I'm not saying that everyone should invest but i think it is important for some people even if it's you know a few dollars you learn a lot of life lessons you learn about delayed gratification you know investing in stocks that over the long run are going to do well versus the short term trying to buy into what everyone else is buying and that goes along with the mob mentality there's a temptation even among the best investors to follow the mob do what everyone else is doing um, but i mean in life you can't really do that either or you're going to you're going to get caught and then finally i think the most important is knowing the extent of your ignorance <laughs> because i can tell you the first few times that i was really starting to invest in that was probably when i was 16 or 17 i thought i was way smarter than the crowd like oh i just I knew more than everyone. If anyone asked me a stock tip, I would tell them a stock tip. But the more you you really try to learn about investing, you realize it's a world packed full of really smart people. If you know that you're not the best person in the room, that's the only chance you have of being the smartest person in the room. Yeah. So, Patrick, this is our final episode. Is there anything else you want to put before the audience? Any any great quotes that you want to find on the internet someday when, when they're looking back on the episodes? Oh, man. I don't know if I can just come up with one uh, on on the spot there. Um, Maybe the one that you've been 
coming back to, I feel like every episode, beware of irrational exuberance. You love that word. You've found a way to sneak it into like every episode. I don't know how you've been great at it, but I think that that's probably what you've been talking about most this semester. Yeah. Just learning to master your emotions and the, the, the understanding the psych- psychology of everything that goes into investing is, is pretty critical. Um, so yeah, probably maybe what a quarter of it I might say is investing knowledge and, uh, three quarters or 75% is, um, being able to, to just have that self-control. Yeah. I mean, it might even be more than that, more than 75%. I'm sure there's a quote on that. I think there is actually (laughs) something like that. Yeah. I I think what I want to leave you guys with is if there's something that you don't know about or that seems really daunting, but you're interested in. Just try to learn, and I think we're at a better time in history to learn anything than at any other point, because there are threads out there where people will explain really complex stuff to you quite simply. And, you know, we try to do that on the radio, but there's plenty of other places that do that. So if there's something you want to do, that doesn't have to be investing. I think, why not today? Why not tomorrow? You know. But with that being said, we really appreciate, we're thankful for you. Anyone who listened to even one minute of one episode this semester, I don't know how many people that would be, but we're going to be back in the fall, in August. We're excited to bring it back. We're going to be more invigorated than ever to bring great episodes to you guys on Wall Street Weekly on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. Thanks for joining us.